Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast on almost Christmas Eve, but today's Bulwark Podcast is special on at least two counts. Uh, number one, our guest, Bill Crystal, um, and it's his birthday. So happy birthday, Bill. Thanks, Charlie. And it's our 500th uh, podcast. So Bill Crystal's birthday, 500 Bulwark Podcasts. Happy, happy podcast birthday, Charlie. Have you done so 500 of your podcasts, right? Or- yeah. Of the of the bulwark podcast, or at least now I might have missed a couple of those. And but you've done probably four hundred and ninety of them, or something. So that's that's great. Well, let's celebrate the five hundredth birthday of the bulwark podcast because that has a great future ahead. And I sort of stop celebrating birthdays around. What what age did you stop? I mean, I think most people, sort of in your thirties, you realize that hey, the exciting new year beginning gets overtaken by the oh my god, I'm a year older. You know. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it began when I think when I started looking at the number and became um, alarmed. So I, I think that would be it. Speaking of alarmed, um, you had a, an amazing Twitter thread yesterday, and I want to, and I want to get to that in just a little while. In fact, I put that in my newsletter. Speaking of my newsletter, I don't know whether you saw it. Uh, you know, pardons, threats, chaos, and coups. Merry freaking Christmas. Yeah. Um, and I, I had some stuff that I had to get off my chest, and uh, you know. And nor- normally you have to be a member of Bulwark Plus to get the newsletter, but uh, I was just, I, I felt kind of in fuego this morning. I woke up, kind of worked up. So we, we made it available to everyone. So if you subscribe to our newsletters, you get today's um, newsletter, which basically says, uh, really, you're, you, you can't be surprised by what's happening with uh with donald trump and i actually began i wanted to tell a little story here so i began with this this scene from band of brothers the hbo miniseries which mm-hmm. is just absolutely fantastic and this is stuck in my mind for so long and it's it's right near the end of the series and uh the guys from easy company are the, the war is pretty much over and and they're shown riding in this convoy of trucks past this huge column of bedraggled German prisoners, some of whom are riding in carts drawn by horses. And one of the main characters, uh, Private David Webster, who was an author and a journalist, you know, looks at these horses and these German troops, and he's appalled by this. And and this is what he shouts at them. Hey, you! That's right! You stupid trap bastards! That's right! Sail on a Ford! General fucking Motors! You stupid fascist pigs! Look at you! You have horses! What were you thinking? That's enough, Webster. Give it a rest. Dragging our asses halfway around the world. Interrupting our lives for what? You ignorant, servile scum! What the fuck are we doing here? Okay, so I actually woke up this morning thinking about this guy. Now, look, admittedly, the parallels are not exact. But what I wrote in my newsletter was, you know, I'm looking over this clusterfuck of American conservatism today, you know, as as we wake up amid all of these crises and, you know, whispers of coups and everything. And I, I kind of feel a kinship with him because, you know, I mean, you know, what were you thinking? You know, you cowardly, ignorant, servile scum. It's not like you weren't warned again and again and again. It's not as if we didn't know who Donald Trump was from the beginning. Nothing that is happening right now is inconsistent with everything that we've known about Donald Trump from the beginning. 
And, you know, Bill, you, you and I have been banging our heads against this for years and years and years. And we've had to deal with the anti-anti-Trumpers who said, oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, they can rationalize it. They can play the games of whataboutism. They can, you know, polish all the orange turds that they want. And, you know, the real threat is radical woke socialists like Joe Biden. You know, and so and they, they really did figure that somehow that this was going to work out. And, and, and here we are right now. You know, this point where America is dumber, crueler, more divided than ever. And for what? So Merry Christmas and happy birthday, Bill. I just, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Well, Merry Christmas to you. And I'm glad you're in the Christmas spirit there, Charlie. That's great. I want to say two things. One, um, it's great that we made today's, this morning's newsletter available to everyone. And uh, you do that occasionally. And Jonathan does that occasionally with his. But people really should join work plus because those two newsletters in my opinion i say this not because i'm talking to you and not because <clears throat> i'm a senior editor and uh, you know one of the founders of the bulwark along with you but they, they are two of the best things you can get every oh, day combination of keeping you up to speed on everything uh witty commentary uh but uh, deep and and perceptive and uh, thought-provoking commentary uh, pointers to other things you should read really so so do it's it's just before christmas i don't know if the, Give the uh, Bulwark Plus is a good Christmas gift to give, I think, but a good New Year's gift, gift and a good, uh, yeah. I don't know, January 20th gift to uh, to people in your lives. So I want to plug Bulwark Plus and plug Whoa, Charlie's you. newsletter, your newsletter, and also Jonathan's. There are other things you get from Bulwark Plus, various bizarre and obscure and secret podcasts that I'm not even permitted to listen to. So, but those, I gather there are people who like those too. So, um, get it all. Well, I was going to say that there are rated podcasts, but of course, uh, we've already made this today's podcast. Yeah, this is like rating. not we, suitable. We, 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 that's not suitable for uh, whatever. Definitely get an explicit yeah. rating for Jim's newsletter. You get as by just signing up for Bulwark, which is also great. And I just read it last night, actually, and retweeted something from it. So, anyway, and of course, you should go to the Bulwark website every morning, listen to this podcast, etc. Um, on the where, point about Trump, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're right. I agree with you. I would say the the one thing I could keep coming back to this, and I mean he's horrible and awful and and dangerous, and thank God we'll be rid of him at least sort of rid of him for in three four weeks. But the I think the one thing I didn't expect, and I think to be fair, it, it was fair of people not to see coming, was the unbelievable accommodation to him and enabling right. of him, you know, by the party, by the Republican Party, by the conservative movement. I mean, a Trump who was flailing about. But really constrained um, to some degree by his own cabinet. But but really, if you'd had three or four years of constraint by a Republican uh, Congress, that a Republican Senate, um, and by the conservative movement, and of people getting used to saying, "No, you can't do that." No, I'm sorry, we're going to have to override that veto. We'd be in a pretty different place than we are today, where he's got. You know, one reason that it's so worrisome today is that he's got. Republican members of Congress, you know, snapping to it when he says, let's overturn the election. And he's he's thrown the entire, you know, the possibility of a government shutdown right out there because his administration said, uh, you know, we're fine with this bill, the combination of the COVID mm -hmm. relief bill and the and the continue, and the omnibus, which appropriates funds for the government. And and then, you know, he just reverses himself and people, oh my God, he reversed himself. In a normal world, when the Secretary of Treasury says this bill's fine and, and the rest of the administration says it's fine. And then suddenly the president goes wacky 
McConnell and Pelosi call their members in and override this thing in, in, you know, 10 minutes, right? I mean, you can't let a president jerk you around this way, just as a matter of congressional prerogative. They passed this bill with overwhelming majorities in both houses. But now it's like, oh my God. And then Pelosi's tempted to play games with it and get a bigger stimulus uh, check. And it just, the degree of damage he's doing, it was made possible and is made possible by the by the accommodation to him and the enabling of him. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we could start there. I want to get to the pardons, too. But I mean, it, 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 it's difficult to see how the four dimensional chess for him here. If he actually vetoes it, um, probably Congress would override it. If he doesn't veto it, if he just a pocket vetoes it, you could have this massive government shutdown, you know, and then you have the two Georgia senators who I don't know whether they were around, but I mean, they supported this, this legislation and then he cuts them off at the knees and it's just, and, and you know what? Do you think Charlie, that he, someone told him that a government shutdown would be good for his sort of coup plotting type efforts that, you know, having parts of the government, you know, sort of disabled in the sense that people really don't come to work during a shutdown, at least uh, unless you're an essential employee, et cetera. Was that in his mind at all? Or is it, is that even giving him too much credit? You know, I don't know, but that's an interesting point. I mean, if if he's this desperate, saying, "Okay, so I I can't stop um, my, my my ouster. I'm just going to blow everything up. I'm going to kick the the, the, the chessboard over. Uh, yeah. I'm going to shut the government down. Maybe that will delay the January sixth vote. I mean, it is crazy. The other thing that happened, and this is not the most important thing, but it, you know, despite all of this appeasement of Donald Trump, uh, he's still lashing out at Republicans in the Senate. I mean, he's tweeting out attacks on John Thune, who's the number two—is uh, he the number two Republican in yeah, the Senate—and uh, calling for him to be primaried because it, this is really important to keep emphasizing. John Thune's has been a Trump loyalist, but his cardinal sin right now is saying that the United States Senate should do its baseline constitutional job of acknowledging the results of an election. And for that, Trump is lashing out at him. So this, uh, and this comes after his attack on Mitch McConnell. So this this is going to be a messy divorce between Trump and the Senate GOP. And just another reminder, the loyalty only goes one way. And it does not matter how many times you have kissed up to the orange God King. The one time you disappoint him, he's going to, he's going to humiliate you. But, you know, so, I mean, in the last week, what do you, the, the, you, you threw Bill Barr under the bus, you threw Mike Pompeo under the bus, you threw Steve Mnuchin under the bus. Um, what, what do you think is going to happen with this COVID relief bill? What, 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 what is the end game? Because I, 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 my sense is that nobody knows right now. Yeah, I, I don't know. Partly because they did combine for reasons of kind of legislative convenience and because the Congress is broken, so they don't pass normal appropriations bills in a normal time frame and, and, and so forth. They combined the COVID relief bill with the government the appropriations for a good chunk of the government. Now, I mean, that's what makes it complicated. That, that is the COVID relief bill, which is the way it's the headline usually. I mean, obviously that's a big bill. There's a lot of stuff in it. Some of it is very good, I think, and important, ranging from the checks, the PPP for small businesses, but also actually money for vaccines and for um, uh, testing. I had a conversation, uh, one of those conversations I do, it'll be online actually this afternoon, if I can plug that, with mm-hmm. Ashish Shah, one of the leading, he's the dean of the Brown School of Public Health and really an intelligent you know, not just commentator, but participant in the sort of front lines of, of the public health efforts. And he, he was struggling. He said, look, it's going to help some of this billions of dollars appropriated for testing and, and vaccine distribution, which will accelerate the recovery, uh, the ability to you know get beyond the pandemic here in the, in the spring. So there are lots of things in that bill. But to be honest, if that bill gets to, disappears and it has to be passed when Biden's president, 
it's a month delay, but it's probably not the end of the world. The more uh, you know, immediate thing is the appropriations for large parts of the government, which w- if if not renewed or or passed or you know extended or something, uh, the government has to shut down. I think it's midnight Monday night. So that's that's a little more just crazier. We are in the middle of a pandemic. There are things the government is doing in real time now. I don't know. Could you exempt CDC and others and the vaccine? You know, payment. I don't think from it works that way right shut now. Down. Who knows? But it's not. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I think there's huge pressure on them to resolve it. I think the normal thing, as I said earlier, would be for McConnell and Pelosi to say, we're not even interested. We're not negotiating this. We're not talking about this. We're just going to repass this over your veto and over your pocket veto, if that's the way you go. And But you know, now Pelosi, of course, is tempted to say, hey, I agree with Trump. Let's have a $2,000 check instead of a $600 check. That was kind of the Democratic position, after all. And so you could end up in a much more complicated, sort of bizarre uh, you know, bunch of game playing by by all parties. And I don't know where we where I assume we end up funding the government and getting something through on you know Monday or something like that, but I, I'm not sure. Well, actually, the, weirdly enough, this also probably will end up strengthening Joe Biden's hand because I'm, I'm guessing that one of the ways that would convince people to go ahead with this particular uh, piece of legislation is to say, okay, so it's only $600 now. We will do more. We promise just let this go through now, and then we will come back later and we will do some, you know, a, a supplemental relief bill, which will probably happen under a Biden presidency. But you know, as Jake Sherman from Politico points out, we're in the middle of a full-blown legislative crisis right now. I mean, it's two days before Christmas. Congress is home. We're in a pandemic. Unemployment insurance runs out on Saturday. The government shuts down on Monday and the president's suggesting he's going to blow up a bipartisan bill to avert this. Wow. So also yesterday, a big day for crooked ex uh, Republican congressmen. So much for draining the swamp. Uh, Both of them Trump supporters who were pardoned um, and a group of uh, war criminals, including a group of contractors who had been involved in one of the most notorious uh, atrocities. Uh, involving the murder of uh, more than a dozen Iraqi civilians, including children. And um, the president just sort of drops this. And this is, the, as you point out, Bill, this is just the beginning of the pardon palooza. It is. I mean, on the on the war criminals, David French, our friend, you know, wrote a, a long piece, which I haven't actually read all of, saying there was a case that the whole thing was mishandled and there were reasons maybe for more clemency for these people. I, that could be. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there's something to that if David argued it. On the other hand, there's a whole process and system by which a president can ask that tell the Justice Department, or in this case, tell the Defense Department to reconsider things. There are ways to to uh, ameliorate punishments as opposed to just pardoning people who were convicted of what sounds like a pretty uh, grim and grisly uh, actions. And, and again, the kinds of things you do not want, I mean, decent people who've served in the military or as contractors, the last thing they want is is to have the, the notion that there's no no boundaries on what they can do. And it, so it has very bad effects. The, 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 the pardon of this to a couple of Russia, you know, collaborators, I suppose you expect that and at this point after Flynn being pardoned, why shouldn't the little fish be pardoned? And there'll be more of them, obviously Manafort and others will get, I'm sure will get pardoned. Uh, but then this Republican congressman is kind of revealing, I, I think, in this sense that they were not even particular, they were Trump allies. I guess Collins was the mm-hmm. first perhaps to endorse Trump in, in the House. Hunter was pro-Trump, I guess, but they weren't like close to Donald Trump. They were just run-of-the-mill crooks. I mean, they just took, you know, used 
insider information in Collins's case to uh, to make trades that were clearly, I gather, illegal, and in the case and judged so by a jury, I believe. And in the case of Hunter, you're just kind of stealing campaign funds to pay for mistresses. I mean, just you're just straight nothing, not political, not ideological. They weren't victims of the old-fashioned crooks or the deep state. They were yeah. just. Your classic criminal congressman. We've had them for 200 years. You know, we'll have more of them. And the luckily, this we have a system here where you can't get away with that necessarily, even if you're a member of Congress, and you can be brought to trial, and and a jury of your peers will either convict you or not. So what's he doing? That's pure, just what he's on. They're on my side, so I'm pardoning them. You think they'd be? I don't know. You think people who are even pro-Trump but sort of believe in some vague sense of law and order. And as you said, incidentally, draining the swamp might say, wait a second, why exactly is Duncan Hunter being pardoned for stealing campaign funds to pay for his mistresses? He has he has a soft spot for for three different categories of people. Well, actually, probably four, but I'm going to focus on three. Number one, of course, any of the people involved in the um, Russia story, anybody involved with 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 Mueller, um, he's he's obviously going to wipe that that slate clean. Um, you know, and another reminder that uh, dangling pardons uh, as obstruction of justice might have actually succeeded for him. That's number one. Number two, he seems to have a soft spot for corrupt, old fashioned corrupt politicians. You know, remember he pardoned the the uh, Former governor of Illinois, yeah, Blagojevich. Yeah, that's a good point. Blagojevich, yeah. um, you know, and then and then, and then these two, uh, then these two sleaze balls. But he's also got this fascination with war crimes and atrocities. This is not the first time that he has uh, gone out of his way to wrap his arms around people who have murdered civilians or committed acts that really, um, you know. Uh, <laughs> Are, are dishonorable and, and, and the contempt that it shows for the whole concept of military justice and military honor is is one of the through lines of of this president that he no, keeps trying to wrap himself in 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 the you know in, in in the traditions of the military but the military doesn't want to be associated with guys that murder civilians that throw bombs at civilians that you know that 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 they kill prisoners of war this is not what the US military is about they are not killers this is not their this is not their culture no i mean what trump what the claim is in these different pardons is in fact the military has been too tough on these guys made an example yeah. of them and you know there's in any one instance of course that could be true they something happens it's terrible and you know it's conceivable that the the some people get you know, uh, indicted and, and prosecuted in the military system, the military judicial system, you know, who were the wrong people or who were taking orders from other people who get free. I mean, there are obviously instances of miscarriages of justice in the military, and it's appropriate to revisit those. But as you say, he has a real soft spot for for brutality, uh, you know, in the military. That's, that's his view of the military. There's no, nothing about honor, justice. They're kind of right. suckers. They're stupid to let themselves put themselves at risk of getting killed. But you know, when you're in that circumstance, you just do what you have to do and kill people and so forth. And that's his view of the military. And as you say, he, he, the Republican congressman, I guess they are the kinds of people he worked with in his previous life. And they would have been good salesmen for Trump, you know, Trump stakes and good, good managers of some of the Trump casinos and so forth. So he's got a soft spot for them if they're kind of friendly to him. And then, as you say, the Russia thing is obviously its own world. And that does seem to be, I mean, there's no question there that basically he's dangled pardons to help induce people to stay quiet. Yeah, I mean, you know, Paul Manafort's got to be sitting by his phone waiting for it. Uh, so this all is a great segue for your very, very scary thread yesterday on on Twitter, which, by the way, I've, I've unraveled, unrolled on in, in the newsletter, if you want to read the whole thing. Um, and um, 
you, you've been sounding the alarm for some time, but this was a, I, th- I think the mildest thing I could say about it is, is highly sobering. And I want you to talk about it because you, you've had some recent conversations with people that people whose judgment you trust, um, who's spoken candidly with Trump appointees who are still on the inside. And you, you talked with some of these folks about why did Trump and Barr, when they negotiated on Barr's departure, settle on today? What is the significance of December 23rd? So tell me what you heard and what you think. So, yeah, and let me say maybe a little more than I even said on, on Twitter while protecting, you know, people who don't want, didn't want, didn't give me their permission to use their names, obviously. But so t- I've talked in the last couple of days to two people who served at pretty senior levels, uh, quite senior of the Trump administration and uh, left and, you know, the, have broken with Trump, some of them maybe privately, not publicly. So uh, one, let me just begin with the Defense Department, which is a little bit not as central, perhaps. Well, it is central, but not, uh, didn't get quite the attention that the Justice Department stuff did. I led with that. But I would say the degree of alarm among the uniform military, the most senior people in the uniform military at Trump's own behavior, the signals they're getting from the White House, trying, you know, telling DOD to do certain things or at least suggesting things, but then in this case compounded a lot by the fact that we now have new civilian leadership at DOD since the election. Mark Esper fired, obviously. The Secretary of Defense, a guy, um, uh, Secretary Miller, who's just you know way out of over his head, but clearly took this job, so he's thrilled to be SecDef, and he, God knows, probably will do whatever Trump asks him to do. His chief of staff, a really uh, more intelligent, I would say, a more effective, probably Trumpy type, um, Cash Patel, and then some really wacko people at very senior levels, Doug McGregor and and others, uh, people put in charge of huge chunks of the Pentagon, at least nominally, who were utterly unqualified for it. So there's a whole team of civilians eager, ready and eager, I would say, to do almost anything Trump asks. And they have some authority. I mean, you know, there is a chain of command and it's not, these people are not, it's not just like random, this isn't Sidney Powell, you know, who has no actual ability to order anyone in the government to do anything. These are people who are going to work as we speak, at work as we speak in the Pentagon with a ton of people reporting to them and the ability to ask for documents, plans, and so forth. Now, the, obviously in the Pentagon, the uniform military has a lot to say too. And there are other civilian employees obviously in the Pentagon, who aren't going to be break the law, even if they're ordered to do so. But I'd say the degree of alarm that the most senior military types have, that they're not going to do anything wrong, they're not going to do anything illegal, they're telling people that, and they're going to resign if they have to, but that we could get to something close to a genuine crisis. I would imagine if you know the chiefs of staff resigned, or say they're going to resign if mm-hmm. Trump doesn't withdraw a certain order, or let it be known that Trump what, what, what is suggesting an order might- that would cause them to resign. I mean, you're at a level that we haven't really been at. I don't know what, maybe Truman and MacArthur, but even there it was not quite comparable. As George Marshall was, I think, the Secretary of Defense. So, I mean, so there's a whole Defense Department side of it that's sort of been under the radar that is that is alarming. Well, it's on my radar. So very specifically, what what are they afraid that he might do? I mean, during the, the last days of Watergate, there was all kinds of concern, you know, about what Nixon might do. And they were, they put in place some sort of, you know, fail safe efforts. But what do they think that Trump might do? I mean, obviously, the seizing of the ballot boxes, which I don't even understand. Yeah, what how, does that mean? Even what I does that mean? Are you, you going to count the same ballots? Or are you going to re- No, that's just not going to happen. So is there anything specific there? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the person, uh, the people, a couple of people I talked to were a little unclear on that, and, and they're not, I don't know that the military guys are clear. I mean, they went through that experience in Lafayette Square, and that really seared 
them. I mean, Billy personally, of course, mm-hmm. but who walked across with Trump and Esper, but also at his uniform combat fatigues, which he had, I, I think, truthfully says, says he just happened to, he flew the, through the bomb as he was summoned to a meeting and he didn't really think it, he was going to be in public, but, um, uh, you know, earlier that day, and then one thing led to another. But um, I think that was searing. And I guess you can imagine National Guard being called out. Uh, you know, if it, let's say Trump says, you guys have to come to Washington and demonstrate in front of Congress on January 6th, 100,000 dis- unruly demonstrators, counter demonstrators, National Guard, I mean, Insurrection Act, hard to believe, but you know, there is such an act and it's, I suppose, not totally inconceivable that the Justice Department signed under, which we'll get to in a minute, under post-Bill Barr, Justice Department signs off on something that even Barr wouldn't have signed off on. So I, I guess it's, I think it's that kind of thing. I mean, it could be also, in Nixon's case, I think it was more, you know, launching a military strike, kind of wag the dog scenario. I, I don't know if that's, you know, anyone's thinking about that in a serious way, but, um, or hmm. other things abroad. I mean, then there's a more routine corruption, right? You know, announcing a massive, I don't know what, uh, well, like immunity for Khashoggi, wasn't that in the news a couple of days ago? Not Khashoggi, oh I'm sorry, it's terrible. Yeah. For Mr. Khashoggi, but immunity for his killer, for MBS, um, you know, and, and in return for God knows what private deals with the Trump family and to, with the Saudi money flowing there. So, you know, military might not be directly involved in some of those. It could be if it's arms sales or whatever. So anyway, I don't know, but I, there's DOD alarm. The more public thing is that Bill Barr, Met with Trump, I think it was last Monday at the White House, nine days ago. And um, they negotiated, the way it was told to me, this kind of uh, polite retirement where Barr wrote this ridiculously effusive letter yeah, to Trump, that. and Trump didn't uh, fire Barr, but let him resign. And um, and they set the date of resignation as for today, December 23rd, which and may well be, honestly, and I say this in the, in the tweet, I mean, it could just be, I don't know, they, Barr wanted to take off for the next month and be with his, take his family somewhere. And, you know, that was a good day, therefore, to resign. And why should he hang around if he and Trump were at such loggerheads? Could have been intended as a birthday present for you, Bill. It could have been. It could be. But yeah. it also is sort of interesting that, you know, more nor- normally you might do the end of the year, you would think, December 31st, or you or you might. Mm-hmm. In the normal world, of course, people just stay till the end. I mean, you, everyone understands you're not going to be making a heck of a lot of policy in those last three, four weeks. I can't remember a single cabinet officer in the administration I served in and in the George H.W. Bush administration. I remember well the transition the last couple of months, you know, sort of doing various, you know, talking to people and thinking about one's own future and, and finishing up one's work and so forth. I don't think any cabinet officer left just for the sake of leaving three or four weeks early. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's just kind of inappropriate, right? You stay yeah. early and it closes down and then you and then you leave. And, and it doesn't mean you have to you can't mm-hmm. begin preparing for your post, you know, administration life and so forth, post White House life. So anyway, that's sort of unusual. The December twenty third, and um, the person I talked to, who's been in touch with very senior people, said two things. I mean, there's obviously going to be a spate of pardons. Some are going to be even worse than others. The Attorney General doesn't have to sign off on them. He doesn't have to do anything, I don't believe, to make them happen. Uh, there may be some paperwork that goes through part of the Justice Department, but it's obviously a presidential prerogative, and the White House Counsel would, could do most of the work. But, but, uh, but still, you sort of it's happening on your watch, and it's one thing to have even these sleazeball congressmen pardoned. It's another thing to get to really central players in the Russian investigation. It's another thing to get to. Uh, uh, 
people at the bar personally would regard, I think, as traitors. I mean, Snowden and Assange bar is a hardliner on that sort of stuff. So I think it suggests the pardon stuff has just begun. And then, of course, secondarily, Barr, and this is interesting, that Barr himself, wasn't it, was it Monday or Tuesday? I think it was earlier this week, sort of referenced things that he hadn't done that he, I guess, right. implied that Trump had wanted it to do. He didn't really say it that way. But I mean, the way it came out, it seems like in the interview. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to have a special counsel for Hunter Biden, a special counsel for the election, so-called election fraud. Uh, I'm not going to seize, uh, authorize, say that it's legal to seize voting machines. And what was, there was one more. I'm not going to say that it's, well, I think you may have mentioned the Insurrection Act or something like that. Or, you know. Yeah, he's not going to do that. those types of moves. Yes. So he clearly, I mean, I don't know, unless he just made them up, clearly those are things that are on his mind and they're probably on his mind because someone said you should do these things. And that's someone so, the president of the United States. So, so you're, you're our successor. Right. Here's the Jeffrey scary Rosen line. Is, is going to resist, you know? Right. Now, this is a guy, Jeffrey Rosen. And you asked the question, can one be confident the bar successor as uh, Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen will also say no? I'm told not. So you're being told this guy's very, very ambitious and he's very anxious to do Trump's will. Um, tell, tell me very I, I don't know anything about this guy. Yeah, and not many, you know, there's no, I mean, he's a lawyer. Now, it may be that he won't. That is, he might decide if he's just... A, he might think about the country's well-being. B, he might decide his own future. If he wants to go back to Kirkland and Alice or some prestigious law firm, you're better off being the person who maybe gets fired for refusing to do something on December you know, 27th rather than uh, doing stuff that's really not even, you know, way beyond even Barr's level of, you know, complicity and stuff that shouldn't be done. And um, But on the other hand, maybe he's all in with Trump and there's going to be a ton of money. I mean, the idea that Someone made this point to me. Another person who's working in the administration made this point to me last night. The 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 notion that you know it's going to be a terrible stain on people's resumes to have done these, been in the White House or stayed in the administration mm-hmm. during these uh, at all, or during this last year, or during these last weeks and, and month. Maybe I mean I hope it is a stain, frankly, on people's resumes. But we don't know. I mean, A, people forget. People want, you know, access to Trump world and Trumpy senators and Trump himself. So you still can get hired as a lobbyist or maybe as a lawyer. And of course, there's a huge Trump world that has an unbelievable amount of money sloshing around, around in it. And if, if you're comfortable in that world, you can make your living in that world, not in the world of, you know, the more conventional button down Republican legal establishment, um, which hasn't shown a heck of a lot of resistance to, to you know, Trump world either. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm much more. I, so anyway, the person I was talking to said he thought Rosen was very ambitious, you know, thrilled to be attorney general, wasn't just going to walk away after two days and might be the kind of person who would come up with legal rationales for things that Barr wouldn't. Now, would the rest of the people of justice go along? Would there be a spate of resignations? I mean, who knows? But I think ultimately this coup does not work. I make, let me make that clear. But I do think the combination of, of what's happened at defense already with the firing of Esper, and now the departure of Barr uh, is, you know, pretty worrisome. And I'd say the one thing one person said to me is that watch for the White House counsel. Uh, Cipollone, is that, I think that's how he pronounces yeah. the name, Pat Cipollone. You know, again, I'm not, not a huge fan. I don't know him, but I mean, you know, his behavior in impeachment was pretty bad, I thought. But 
like Barr, kind of a guy who is a respect, wants to go back to being a respectable lawyer in DC and probably has some genuine, you know, sense that there's certain things you really just can't do. I'm told there are people below him in the White House counsel's office who are much more, much Trumpier, you know, much less concerned about their own standing in the DC bar and so forth. And, you know, that if Cipollone were to resign, that would be a sign that, that uh, it's really Katie barred the door at that point. So let's talk about uh, the, the next big moment. Well, actually, we may have we have may have other big moments uh, now with the uh, with, with the COVID relief bill and the government shutdown. But January sixth, what's going to happen on January sixth? Specifically, um, what's going to happen with the Senate? What is Mitch McConnell going to do? What you, what is Mike Pence going to do? I think this is just going to be an extraordinary moment. Um, and I, I know we've gotten sort of numbed and we're exhausted by it all. But the, the fact that, that we have Republican elected officials who are seriously talking about trying to overturn the Electoral College win for the presidential election is just stunning. And this has become, at least in, in, in Trump world, this has become now the new litmus test, the new loyalty test that you, you have to, on January 6th, you have to stand up and object to um, my vote being counted here in Wisconsin or Georgia or Pennsylvania or, or Michigan. This has now become, this is, you know, how, how you show your, your Trumpian manhood. Now, so th- there may be several dozen Republicans, who knows, in the House of Representatives. Mitch McConnell and John Thune have been trying to shut this down. How do you see that day playing out? I mean, is this going to be the moment where Republicans finally say, I'm sorry, this is the moment where we put our constitutional duty ahead of our loyalty to Trump. We put country over party. Is this going to be a profile in courage or is it going to be just another day of complete shambolic, you know, surrender? I mean, I don't know. I would have said maybe a month ago before all the, or before election day, I would have said, um, no, I mean, they're, of course, they're going to go along with that. Who would have thought all the other things that have happened in the last five, six weeks? I mean, do McConnell and Thune tell, you know, incoming freshman Senator Tommy Tuberville um, from Alabama, look, you object to this, you join these lunatics in the House and discredit the U.S. Senate and, and discredit our party and join this, you are getting zero legislation to the floor. In your mm-hmm. six first, in your as long as I'm the leader of this party, and as long as John Thune is the number two, and he'll probably succeed me as leader, and you're getting the worst committee assignments possible. I mean, are they going to play hardball and try to prevent two or three or four rogue uh, senators from forcing a process that's going to be, you know, again, it's not going to result in anything, but it's just going to be a, you know, just a ridiculous. Uh, and sort of embarrassing show for the but that's the way it works right i mean you take the you, you take a freshman in and you say okay here's the deal you know this this matters to us i don't want you to put my members in this absolutely toxic no win situation we either antagonize the trump base or we you know violate our oath of office um we don't know whether or not tommy tuberville uh goes along with that sort of thing but that's i mean that that's is, is, and that's the kind of conversation that a leader, I mean, I certainly imagine Lyndon Johnson, when he was Senate Majority Leader, that's exactly what he would have told an incoming freshman senator who was trying to screw things up, right? Yeah. And I mean, even didn't Biden, I think in 2017, there were some rumbles and he just kind of shut it down. You know, there, and there were some objections from House members and Biden just said, no, Senate objection. Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. You know, didn't let anyone sort of have a, have a minute to like think about it. I mean, but no, I think that would be, that would be what you would do. And, uh, but look, it all may also be that Tupperville um, thinks, and maybe he's not wrong, that it's more important to be in the good graces of Trump than of Mitch McConnell. And that, you know, the Trump, this is where the whole question of the Trump control of the GOP going forward is a real one. And then what about Pence? I would certainly have said a month ago, despite my 
incredible disappointment with Pence and an annoyance with Pence that, um, and genuine more than annoyance, I mean, real anger at Pence that, you know, he's going to preside in the same way that Biden presided and Gore presided and Cheney presided when President Obama took over and my boss, Dan Quayle presided. I remember this that day in January of 1993 mm-hmm. and, and uh, announced that, you know, Clinton and Gore were the incoming president and vice president having defeated us. Um, I had assumed that Pence would at least do that. I don't know. What do you think? Are you, I'm not confident he will. I don't know. He may like leave on some ridiculous foreign trip before he has to even preside. And I don't even know. I guess Grassley, I don't know who presides at that point, the president pro tem of the Senate, I suppose. But anyway, I, I guess I, I lost yeah. confidence that anything I thought would, would necessarily hold, you know? No, I, I would have said the same thing that at some point he 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 would do the right thing. He did not want his legacy to be, you know, somebody who was part of, you know, this uh, this unconstitutional coup. But but um, you know, the fact that he went down to this uh, Turning Point USA Charlie Kirk event and you know, right. they're chanting four more years, and he said we're going to continue to fight. You know, so so even now he can't stop himself from pandering. Um, his easiest option is is to just not show up is to let Chuck Grassley uh, sit in his chair. And there is actually a precedent for that. I did not know that until last night. Hubert Humphrey in 1969 uh, thought it was inappropriate for him to preside over it because he was a candidate for president. So he didn't want to do, you know, do it himself. So it, it has been done, but I don't think we should expect any profiles and courage. Although I do wonder what's going through Mitch McConnell's mind right now. I mean, this is this is kind of a, there is kind of a game of chicken going on here. Um, dumb, dumb. And you kind of wonder whether or not Trump would have screwed up the whole COVID relief bill and just blown it up like this if McConnell had not acknowledged Biden's victory. I mean, this kind of feels like revenge surge cold. It's 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 Donald Trump's way of saying, you know, screw you, Mitch McConnell. Well, Mitch McConnell has many ways of saying screw you, Donald Trump, if he wants to do so. So, I mean, if he puts screws to people, I... This is where I, I have a hard time getting my head around some of the, 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 the motivations here, because let's say that, that Mitch McConnell cannot stop somebody from objecting. And I, th- I think that, that if, if one senator does it, then there's going to be a bunch because Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and, and Marsha Blackburn and a lot of these other folks, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be left hanging out. So if Tommy T- Tuberville goes in, they'll go in as well. But the, the final vote might be something like 91 to 7. Right. And why why Trump world wants that, why Donald Trump wants that is kind of a mystery to me. And if Mitch McConnell says, fine, you object, you get your five minutes. I think maybe that seems to be the, the, the I don't know if that's in law or that's the custom somehow to speak. And then I'm going to speak for five minutes or maybe for 25 minutes since I'm the leader. And I'm going to explain in detail how unbelievably irresponsible what you've done just is and, I, and that you are not going to be a figure with any weight in the Republican conference in the U.S. Senate going forward. Again, you could do a version of that, right? If he were willing to play hardball against this and were able to, I mean, whether he has support again, but at some point, maybe there's not just five or seven, maybe there's, I don't think there are more than that, but, you know, do other senators kind of decide maybe it's better to go along with this? I do think on that there's enough, uh, yeah, the other way to, to stop. I mean, I hadn't known about the Humphrey example, but that's, of course, they didn't contest anything. And that was, in a funny way, the opposite, maybe Humphrey feeling, I don't know, maybe he just was annoyed, but also maybe feeling that somehow it looked weird for him to do it. But so, since then, obviously, Al Gore, who was the nominee, has presided uh, in, I mean, Quayle was, a, was not the presidential mm-hmm. candidate. So Gore was the actual presidential candidate, 
uh, in in twenty. I guess that's the only case, right, where someone presided over his own yeah. defeat as 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 president, and at least that I know of. I mean, a VP running for president who then lost, right? But this is such an important ritual of American yeah. constitutional democracy to 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 have this acknowledge the 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 losing candidate acknowledging the victor, and, and especially and, I mean Gore's case. Remember, you know, after deep painful tested to say the least election, so it was an important moment. I remember that actually in two thousand one, first Gore conceded in December thirteenth or fourteenth, whatever that was, into two thousand, and then. He, you know, that presiding there was an important moment of saying, okay, look, it, it is over and we need to, you know, go on and, and govern the country and we'll, we'll revisit all this in four years and so forth in terms of electorally. And um, so that's the best analogy, I suppose, to, uh, uh, well, I don't know, but he's the presidential candidate, whereas Pence, so Pence yeah. is more like Quayle, right? I mean, the, the losing VP candidate on the, on the ticket. And there, it's it's always been unproblematic. Honestly, I mean, Quayle did it, yeah. and, and and Mondale did it. I believe in January of sure. 1981, it was just standard. You know, this this this, this is a, an important tradition. So, talk to me. Let's talk about Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich writes a piece where he he will not accept Joe Biden as president. Now, in you know, knowing Gingrich's convoluted thinking, whatever that means. But this whole now growing sense among Republicans that it's okay to say that you are not going to accept the winner of a presidential election, you're not going to accept Joe Biden. I, I just it it, it 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 feels like something important could be badly badly broken over the next couple of months. Yeah, I think that's right, and I mean it does make all kinds of practical things decisions hard for Biden, even if he wants to, you know, I sort of think he really does, you know, reunite the country, make some symbolic gestures uh, and so forth, that he's not on some, you know, jihad against anyone who ever said anything nice about Trump and so forth. So Newt Gingrich's wife is the ambassador to the Vatican. Uh, Newt has now said he doesn't accept Biden as president. Does Biden, you know, often with even the political appointees, usually they resign on January 20th. But, you know, often there's a, sometimes there's a grace period of a month or something to get your affairs in order one to, while the next person gets gets confirmed, especially if there's no particular controversy in that capital. I don't know if there is or isn't with the Vatican. Um, but, you know, what does Biden now do? Is he going to have an ambassador or the wife of an ambassador? Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the mm-hmm. spouse of an ambassador, you know, the wife of, of a prominent figure who has said he doesn't accept Biden as president as the ambassador. But then if he gets rid of of, of, of Callista Gingrich on January 20th, which is well within his rights, and in the normal world, again, that person resigns and the DCM runs the embassy for a month or two or three. But what if she doesn't resign? Does he fire her? And then is that a huge cause celebre on Fox and Newsmax? And, you know, I mean, so I just, it's making everything harder for the incoming administration. I, ju- I just wonder whether or not, do, no, when, when will Biden address a joint uh, session of Congress? Does they, they don't do a, a State of the Union. There's usually now kind of a, not official, but quasi State of the Union, normally around yeah. the same time. So maybe early, mid-February. Yeah, I think that's when... So do Republicans show up for that? Well, and what happens? If, what happens if a substantial number decide that they are going to boycott this in solidarity for the fake claims that the election was 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 stolen? What what are the political consequences? What are the optics of of that? And how could is Trump going to resist doing a rally the day the night that Biden no, does speak no. to Congress? I just think this is um, the 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 question that's starting to grow in my mind. And you and I have had this conversation before, and I've said this many, many times. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, Donald Trump will voluntarily leave on January 20th. However, 
It is a non-zero possibility that he will resist doing that, find some excuse not to leave, because he's really given himself no gracious exit. He has doubled down. He is pushing. He is embracing every crazy conspiracy theories. I think he has absolutely, to the extent that Donald Trump believes anything, as opposed to pretends to believe something, you know, as, as, as opposed to just simply adopts a position in order to keep the grift going. I think that he's convinced himself. And when you convince yourself, at what moment do you say, okay, I'm going? So I, this is the thing where you can see him, you can see him trapping himself, painting himself into a corner, becoming more desperate, which is why the things you've been just talking about, about the Department of Defense and the Department of Justice and the possibility that he may blow things up with a, with a government shutdown. Well, where, where are we right now? I mean, what, add, what is this man capable of? And to add one point, I think I know we have to go, but um, hmm. the grift is succeed on the grift side of it. Let's call it that the just you know, pecuniary self-interest side of it, as opposed to the, you know, mad king, you know, believing mm -hmm. your own uh, rhetoric side of it. Uh, it's working. So that is say often these things fade out or, or evaporate a bit because you can be as mad a king as you want, but everyone else around you is saying, what, this is terrible. What's going on? And anyway, this is kind of hurting us going forward and we're not going to be helped by this. Everyone in Trump orbit right now, if they literally are in Trump orbit in the sense of being on the payroll, is, is watching the money flood in from credulous uh, Trump supporters, uh, give, you know, who've given a couple hundred million dollars already to the Trump, I guess, leadership back or whatever it is that's basically can support almost anything Trump wants. And, you know, they're all go for it, Mr. Don't give up too early. We can get another, you know, $50 million the week before inauguration. Inauguration day could be our biggest fundraising day ever. If you make a big splash and yep. either don't go or go in a very, you know, defiant way or have a rally in Florida that night or that day at noon uh, to compete with Biden's inauguration, you can just see people saying this. So it's not the normal, the normal kind of council doesn't always work because people are crazy, but sometimes the principle is, is, is the, the mad king is mad and doesn't listen to anyone. But normally the pressures are to, to be behave less madly. <laughs> that's, not always, that's not entirely the case in, in this instance. Well, Bill Crystal, thank you for joining us on the podcast. This is our 500th Bulwark podcast. And Bill, happy birthday and happy holidays. Thank you, Charlie. And congratulations to you on this fantastic podcast that you've built from nothing and has been terrific. And uh, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you. Well, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a real honor. Uh, thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. We're going to take a couple of days off to celebrate the Christmas holiday. And we will be back on Monday. And we will do this all over again.